Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Foe. Han? Expecting anyone? I need to have an intimate understanding of your marriage, the good and the bad. I promise it's confidential. It's between you and me. Do you feel happy here? Of course I'm happy here. Aren't you? Do you feel you know how she would react in every situation? I've always had this fantasy that there's something else out there for me. Do you want to live mundane lives or do you want to be part of something special and unique? You've been selected to live up there. <laughs> okay, well, you're wasting your time because we, we haven't even been on an airplane. She dated. I should, I should clarify. I'm talking about you here, Junior. Only you. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Foe, and the story is as follows. Hen and Junior's quiet life is thrown into turmoil when an uninvited stranger shows up at their door with a startling proposal. The film is starring Saoirse Ronan, Paul Meskel, and Aaron Pierre. It is written and directed by Garth Davis, and it is co-written by Ian Reid. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Giovanni Lago. Hello. Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. And Dan Baer. Let's get to it. So, Foe is the follow-up film from Garth Davis, who previously directed the Best Picture-nominated film Lion in 2016. Uh, The film he followed that up with was Mary Magdalene. And I don't know many people that actually saw that movie, to be honest with you. So this film got a little bit more of an exposure boost. It had its world premiere at the New York Film Festival just a few days ago, which is where myself, Gio, Dan, and Tom all saw it. And... It had, I don't want to say like a a tremendous amount of hype behind it, but the fact that you have two of the hottest young actors uh, working today in Saoirse Ronan, Paul Meskel, Irish actors, uh, might I add. And then you have Aaron Pierre, who over the last couple of years with performances in Old, where he played, I love this, I love this character name so much, Midsize Sedan. <laughs> and he had a really, really great performance in a movie called Brother. If you guys get a chance to check that out, I, I highly recommend that movie. He's really, really excellent in that. Uh, so he's a star on the rise as well. But this is a chamber piece drama that really just involves only these three actors. Ian Reed is the uh, co-screenwriter on this, as I was mentioning before, and he previously uh, not only wrote the novel for this, but he also wrote the novel for I'm Thinking of Ending Things. So that should give you a bit of an idea of what kind of a writer uh, Ian Reed is and what he wants to bring to this film. And suffice to say, as of this recording right now, um, this movie has a, what, 19% on Rotten Tomatoes today? Uh, it, it 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 did not get the best reception at its world premiere at New York Film Festival. So now you're going to find out where we all fall on this movie. Is it friend or is it foe? 
Let's find out. Starting with Tom O'Brien. Tom, what did you think of Foe? Well, Matt, I had high hopes, just as uh, I think all of us did for it. Uh, you know, particularly the cast. I think, by and large, we liked Lion very much. And it was the major world premiere at the New York Film Festival this year. Yeah, not many world premieres, but this was definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah. So there was people were very excited about it. And uh, I, I got to say, at least for myself, I, from the very beginning, it, it, things seemed off. And not in a way that seems to be intentional. Um, the set design seemed, seemed very theatrical. The style of acting from the very first scene uh, where Saoirse Ronan is crying in a shower, that it, it, it seems, oh boy, this is going to be in, intense or laughable. And it unfortunately at times veered towards the latter. It is kind of an overheated three-hander, and uh, the science fiction elements to it, I did not think were integrated very well. I just felt the whole thing was a miss from beginning to end, and when you get off on the wrong foot, for, at least for me, I, it just never got back on foot for me. Okay. All right. Giovanni Lago, how about you? What did you think of Foe? Uh, so I, I went in with not high hopes, but decent hopes. Uh, Paul Meskel is someone who I've really enjoyed his work since Normal People and Sir Sharon and Sir Sharon. I mean, come on. And so I, I was very much intrigued. And despite some murmurs, I was like, you know what? I'm going in. At least I get both of them and I'll be fine. And I was wrong. I really did not <laughs> enjoy this movie. I think in general from the performances, uh, both Meskel and Ronan try their like absolute best to elevate the material, but I just don't think the work itself services them. And at times it really feels like they're in like very separate movies with what they're trying to do with their acting. I think the writing is very all over the place and I don't think really establishes the themes it tries to convey or so intelligently quote unquote sets up. Um, I, I did think it, it looked pretty like it, it, the cinematography is actually pretty solid in the film, especially with these vast landscapes of how uh, the climate is slowly destroyed earth at that time frame. Um, and the direction also, I would say isn't great. As we go on, I assume we'll talk about more plot deeds to happen, but a lot of it is kept in like this thinly veiled shadow that is like, ooh, a mystery, and it never really pays off entirely, especially with how much it wants to be this important movie about climate change and AI, but it's constantly juxtaposing with each other. Uh, so overall, I was very... Uh, I don't know if I'll use the term disappointed, but I was just left feeling incredibly underwhelmed. And Dan Bear, what did you think of Foe? I mean, people could read your review on the website, but... Yeah, um, my, my thoughts on Foe are that it is half a good movie. And the half is basically the first half or so. I think Saoirse Ronan and Paul Meskel are really really great and they're giving it their all but unfortunately this is not a script that deserves their all they're constantly elevating it and trying to make it something better i think a lot 
just through their sheer charisma, but also through their talent. But unfortunately, the the script is structured in a way that <laughs> is not advantageous to the story it's telling. Uh, the more I think about this movie, the more I don't like it. <laughs> uh, just because I feel like its problems would be very easy to fix. It looks gorgeous. It sounds gorgeous. But the story is just – the way they choose to tell it is fundamentally broken. And unfortunately, because of that, none of the people on screen can really save it. And it's sad because this had so much potential. So heading into this, um, I would say based on the trailer, I remember being somewhat excited because I like these heady sci-fi grounded dramas. I don't like so much these big blockbuster sci-fi films as much as I like the more realistic approach to existential uh, threats that we are facing with AI and um, also to um, how it impacts human behavior, so on and so forth. And I just think it's a really, really interesting pathway in exploring human behavior. And so you have this marriage and relationship here between these two characters that are played by two really, really phenomenal actors. I know Paul Meskel's got a shorter resume than Saoirse Ronan, but even with uh, just a few roles that we've seen him in over the last couple of years, I mean, he's the real deal, truly. I mean, like, he's such a great actor. Um, and every performance that I've seen him give so far has been different from the last. And Saoirse Ronan is Saoirse Ronan. I mean, there's not much else that needs to be said about her that hasn't already been said. Aaron Pierre, as mentioned before, also a very, very intriguing presence. So I'm heading into this thing thinking, okay, I'm a little skeptical. But overall, like my expectations were pretty set. They weren't like sky high, but they weren't like set pretty low either. So in a way, I did kind of set myself up for some level of disappointment. And the way that this movie starts at first, when it introduces its setting, it introduces the characters, it introduces the premise, I was pretty on board. I would say that the longer the movie goes on, the more I lost interest, but also I, I started losing focus of what was actually happening within the plotting of this movie. <sighs> this is going to sound really terrible by comparison. But it reminds me of my first viewing of Tenet. And I say my first viewing because subsequent viewings have gotten better over time. And I remember with Tenet specifically uh, being very annoyed with uh, the final twist at the end and how that level of preservation of the reveal actually hindered the rest of the movie. And they want the reveal to kind of contextualize everything and have it then all kind of make sense. But you can't ever escape the fact that on that first viewing, you were kind of frustrated following what was happening. And and and, and, in, and in the case of both of these movies, I, I was having a hard time following it. I couldn't understand what the motivations were, why there were some things that were super opaque and there was so much ambiguity. And I was like, like, I don't understand where we're going here. And that was just very frustrating for me as a viewer. Tenet is a movie that, as I said before, has gotten much better over time. Every single time I've watched the movie since, I cannot imagine the same happening 
for this movie here. Not at all. Uh, because even with the reveal at the end and understanding what this movie is ultimately about, I don't feel that it has anything meaningful actually to say. And I know this because we all talked about it after we saw it at the New York Film Festival. We all collectively got together as a group and we were all discussing, well, what did you get out of it? What did you feel it was about? Did you feel that it landed its intentions uh, for its um, – uh, sorry, did you feel that it landed the messaging and it, its intentions? And the simple answer was no. Everybody was still pretty puzzled, baffled, frustrated in some cases. And so I just think this is like one of those cases where um, they were trying to do something profound – and in the end, the execution was all over the place. Now, you can sit here and dissect and try to figure out, is that a fundamental flaw with the writing? Is it the direction? Is it the editing? Where did exactly this movie go wrong? And that's what I want to start off by asking is, I think at this point, it's pretty clear based on the majority of reviews out there that this is not a well-received film. So let's take a look as to why that might be. Where do you all think the crux of the issues of this movie ultimately lie it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I think it's exactly what you said, Matt. Just like. <laughs> they really hinged everything on this late in the film reveal. And I think they prioritized that over the characters and themes when it should have been the other way around. There's a lot in this that is really interesting and kind of compelling. I, by the end, I, or, well, really, by the halfway point, I was kind of like, this feels like a COVID movie because it's just really mostly just the three of them, pretty much one set or like outdoor locations. And it felt to me like about kind of where we are now with COVID as opposed to where we were early on, how like now we kind of have like we can go out into the world and like live with it in this new um, world that has come but there is some people who are now kind of locked into like, no, we have to huddle and hide away a little bit. And I really liked that tension between the two characters, but it gets diluted through this wanting to have a twist for the audience or something. I, I don't know. It, it, it was just the wrong decision. <laughs> I think it got, they Jerry rigged it for the big reveal and uh, it, as a result, the characterizations aren't there. Uh, you know, uh, beyond certain facts about who owns the farm and when they got together, I really still didn't know very much about these two people. And I never really bought that they loved each other at one point, despite occasional flashbacks to them being happy. Um, they just seemed very separate, which may be the point about the marriage. But there's no coloration in the characters. And and as a result, uh, that's where I think, uh, Matt, I got lost too. It's sort of like I don't care about these people, and what? I why is the? Why are they so opaque to me? 
And uh, and it, that got progressively worse as we worked towards the twist. So that when by the time we got to the twist, it was like, really, is that it? And it it just it just the whole exercise before that felt very empty. Yeah, I I really hate saying this because Ian Reed, I I I know he didn't write. I'm thinking of ending things the movie, but he wrote the novel from which that movie came from. And I love that movie, like full heart, love that movie so much. You guys can go back and listen to our podcast review of it that we did uh, during uh, COVID, actually. And there was a lot to discuss with that movie. I could see how the plotting of this movie is cut from the same cloth as something like I'm Thinking of Ending Things, but it doesn't have the same level of command and control over how it wants to tell the story um, from the direction point uh, with Garth Davis. And I, I think Lion is a pretty well put together film. And I actually really enjoyed Lion when it came out back in 2016. Mary Magdalene was interesting, but uh, forgettable. And now with Foe, I mean, this is his first real true clunker, I would say. I mean, he's also done really great work with Top of Lake, too. So, I mean, the guy's had like a pretty decent career uh, so far at this point. So am I going to sit here and say that Foe is revealing like, you know, all oh, this guy's been a hack all along and he doesn't know what he's doing. No, I, I, I just feel this is like kind of the it's unfortunate because it's essentially like the perfect uh, alignment of everything just not working in sync. And uh, you have the actors who are trying so hard to salvage what is there on the page, which is I actually think from like an attention standpoint, I can see like what Ian Reid was trying to get at here. Let's also remember too the novel that this is based on was, you know, pretty popular and also well received. So the ideas are there, but I think that in the editing of this movie and also the way that it's staged and blocked and the way that it ultimately unfolds, that's where I think the real problems ultimately lie. I do believe that there was a interesting story here and there was interesting potential to explore with regards to Paul Meskel's character junior is ultimately chosen by Terrence played by Aaron Pierre who has a British accent, but represents the U S government. Some, for some reason, well, whatever, we'll let that one slide. Uh, he gets chosen to go up to the moon colony and then they drop the bombshell on the, on the couple saying, Hey, but while he's up there, we're going to replace him with a robot clone version of himself so that you're not lonely here, uh, Hen, which, by the way, is that short for Henrietta? I'm assuming I, so. It has to be, right? Yeah. I assumed it was, but I don't think they ever actually say. Yeah. Okay, because, like, I'm sorry, Hen is just such a weird name to call someone. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, do you not want to call Saoirse Ronan Hannah again? Like, what's going on over here? <laughs> um, but... I think that in and of itself is actually a very interesting premise worth exploring. The problem is that this movie spends too much time with these two characters and their reactions to this development and not enough time actually revealing to us that the clone has been there all this time. And we've been watching the movie 
not with the real Mescal, but with the actual clone. And this has all been kind of a experiment Spoilers. that both Terrence and Hen are on. Hey, you know what? We've gotten enough feedback from people recently that they don't care that we spoil stuff now. So it's like, <laughs> all right. And let's let, and let's phase two. Are, is anybody that's listening to this right now who hasn't seen Foe like, oh, you need to preserve the spoilers. I, I'm dying to see this movie. Like, no, mm. everyone knows the reactions out there. No one cares at this point. <laughs> you know, I'm really curious to, to see like how the if the novel is done in the same way like and if it does do they spend more time in like the early part of her relationship with the clone because that was what it seemed to be missing to me yeah. it was like i don't get a feeling of how her relationship was with junior before they left to really see any sort of difference with her and the clone or like how the relationship with the clone evolved. It just automatically jumps to the end where she's supposedly in love with this clone, but like she doesn't really act like it for it's very, very strange. And I, I think it's a lot in line with just like a lot of, ideas in this movie are so great but they're half-baked like but don't, but don't you agree with me though that if the movie revealed its cards early on that the mescal that we're following is the clone and ronan having to deal oh, with that having to have conversations yes. with it talk with it like that would have been a more interesting movie worth exploring and how this ai is adapting yes. to this environment and to this relationship and what are the subtle differences between it and a human so on and so forth yeah, instead, it just feels like these two are locked in just a really awful, toxic relationship that is going to some weird places. All stemming from him, by the way, too. Well, and also from Aaron Pierre, like, poking and prodding and being weirdly it's not quite the right word because they're not related but like weirdly incestuous like he wants to get in on this somehow i don't know about you but i really thought a threesome was coming at some point i yeah yeah Yeah. and i was kind of hoping for yeah i was like anything to kind of spice this up right now because (laughs) god help them you know search ronan and paul meskel being uh you know 70 percent unclothed in this movie and it's probably a high high exaggeration but you know this movie attempts to be steamy at times you know they're sweating they're wearing flimsy clothing you know you see some nudity there's some sex scenes like this movie does try to inject like some form of eroticism like in there but it's all shallow and it doesn't ultimately mean anything because as you're watching it and maybe you guys felt this way too i don't know about you i certainly didn't it never occurred to me while we were watching the movie that this is the clone that she's with the whole time. And so I just feel like all these scenes where he was being, I don't want to say abusive, but clearly their marriage is now loveless and cold and detached and distant. Yeah. And the movie never explains why. We get like a brief flashback of like their marriage, of like the day they actually like married each other, but we never see anything else to contextualize what this relationship was like before. We're just like dropped into the here and now where they are clearly struggling to form any connection with one another. And I think that is the flaw is that this movie should have revealed early on 
that this was the clone, and it should have used that as a way to then ask these questions, probe the sci-fi premise, and I, I think you could have gotten more value out of at least the the potential, like the like the potential and also the dangers of AI, mm-hmm. especially considering how prevalent that is in today's society now. Yeah. It's very frustrating. It feels like we're supposed to believe that this is all taking place, you know, before he leaves for the moon colony. And that, like, yes. part of her ups- part of her being upset is that she doesn't want him to go. And maybe she they're you know growing distant because they're you know in some ways preparing for this long separation that they don't know how long it's going to last well they're also unclear about that too is it because is she frustrated because she doesn't want him to go is she frustrated that she can't go too is she frustrated that the clone is going to be there and it's not necessarily him yeah and then when they reveal oh no it's been the clone all along and real paul mescal is actually coming back now it's like that doesn't really comport with how she's been acting. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just very, very strange. And it leads to the whole thing feeling more alien than it should. And of course, like, well, the dialogue also contributes to it feeling yeah. alien, frankly. <laughs> no, but this is like a movie that's honestly performing backflips yeah. and jumping through loops to preserve its twist. Yeah. Yeah. And by doing so, they're sacrificing, I think, real human emotion and real interesting ideas that are worth exploring. But because they need to preserve this twist, everything else just comes across as jumbled, confused. You don't understand anyone's motivations for why they're feeling the way they're feeling or why they're doing what they're doing. And it just like I like I said, as I said, in the first couple of minutes of this movie, first 15, 20 minutes or so, like, you know, Aaron Pierre shows up, the premise of the movie gets laid out. I was like, oh, this is very interesting. And then the more you see it play out, at a certain point, you're just like, what the hell is even happening anymore? What is the point of all of this? What's going on? And then by the time they re- they reveal it, you just don't care. You just don't care. I, I think Paul Meskel, God bless him. When the real one comes back and he's watching uh, what happens to the clone version of him at the end, there actually was real, I felt, a real sense of uh, both attachment and detachment on the expression on his face that, once again, I found like fascinating and worth exploring. But the movie doesn't do anything with it. And then it doesn't really do anything with their relationship after he comes back as well. Yeah. It just feels like so many missed opportunities at stuff that was actually worth exploring. And, you know, I, I do, you know, you mentioned, I think you said, uh, the cinematography here by Matt. Yes. Erdely. I, I want to say it, it's decent. It's not good enough though, to, yeah, to like, you know, hold this movie up. Same thing with the score for this film too. Like it, this movie just doesn't have enough window dressing to distract me from the the real problems. One aspect also that was I was expecting in the beginning, not expecting, but they kind of hint at is after the first confrontation with Aaron Pierre's character Terrence, when 
uh, Paul Meskel comes up and you can get a sense that the relationship isn't good. Like Sersha doesn't want him sleeping in the same room and everything is he mentioned like, oh, did you did you send him here? Like, did you and like, even if you weren't going to do the whole idea that we kind of touched on that, knowing it's the AI from the jump, like a, a semi thriller where like he comes and you get this tension that they constantly like have him prod the relationship and instigate the whole time. And it's like, is she plotting to get him to leave because she hates him? Is does she like truly love it? Like there's so many routes they could have gone with it. Instead, the first hour of the movie is just like. Oh, yeah, climate. Here's the situation. The climate's bad. We're not really going to talk about it or have any. It's just the back setting. And then, like, oh, it's not till, like, over, what, like, maybe an hour in that the whole concept of the AI, like, replacement even comes into the movie. And by then, it's, like, we're already, like, halfway through this and you're dropping on this now. And just for it to be all a setup for a mystery shrouded uh, plot twist that... It doesn't it never pays off and it just feels incredibly like once I found out like I saw that I was like, oh, that's what we're doing. Okay, yeah, that's great. And then it continues on. I think a big problem this movie has, it's got big Return of the King multiple ending syndromes, but nothing of the greatness of like Return of the King before it, because <laughs> there's at least three times where I'm like, okay, the movie ends here. And then it just keeps going. And it did that for like at least 25 minutes where I was just like, oh, my gosh. OK. And it ends in such a very expected way at that time. As soon as you see the little details that they set up about uh, Saoirse Ronan's character at the end, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, I guess this is what happens. And you're just left there. But like, here's the thing, though. Even with that, that's like another um, I don't want to call it a twist, but it's like another added layer to the twist at the end where I don't know what they were trying to get at with that ending. I don't know what the message was anymore. I don't know what they were actually trying to tell us as an audience. And he, like, it didn't make any sense to me. And that's where the movie's logic just completely crumbled. I mean, not at that point, but like for me, I just walked out in the movie like I don't. I'm not even interested anymore in exploring this or talking about this because it lost me way before that. But now they're throwing uh, Saoirse Ronan wanting to. <laughs> Oh my god! Wanting to also like clone herself, uh, and I don't think she necessarily wants to. Maybe she just I, wants I, to leave. Yeah, she like just wants to get away from him. That, yeah. That's what I, that's what I mean, though. Is that she wants to get away, and in doing so, she clones herself to then stay with the real Mescal. And I guess like the hope is that she'll now be the version that he wanted her to be. But we don't know that because we don't know. We haven't spent time with the human mescal. Right, yeah. <laughs> For all we know, the human mescal is this lovely guy. <laughs> the, the only bit of their relationship that we get is when they're first when they first meet Aaron Pierre and he's like, What what do you mean I'm going up to the to the moon station? I don't think I wanna go. And then she's like, Well, I wanna leave, but this isn't for me. It's it's so. I was also trying to figure that out too, from a world building standpoint. Hey, you've been chosen to go up to this moon colony. Okay, I don't want to go. And they made it sound like he was being forced to go, whether he wanted to or not. Why? Yeah, he's basically like, well, you kind of have no choice. You have been chosen. It's why? Like what are the rules? <laughs> yeah, like it's like it's like it's like a draft for the army. And I'm like, wait, what? It's like a lottery. It's yeah. you pull a name out of a hat. It's just. <laughs> Hard to buy. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm sorry, but like if I win the lottery for Hamilton tickets and I've got something else going on, I don't know what to tell y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, God, th- this movie, I, I, going back to the world building here really quick. There's also some like very interesting Im- imagery uh, with the, the, the dry red river and the fact that the technology within this um, Midwestern home is pretty much non-existent. They have, like, old record players. They're playing, like, 50s, 60s music. And so there's, like, this juxtaposition of a movie that feels both out of time uh, in, in in the past and then also, like, out of time, like, in the future. And the problem that I have with this is I think they were trying to convey this idea of uh, you, we don't really want you to know what year this movie is necessarily set in, even though they'd say it's 2065. Um, I, I almost get the sense that they wanted us to. Actually, I don't know. I don't know what they fucking wanted us to feel actually from any of this. You know, it's like that's the thing that's so frustrating to me is there seems to be attempts at world building, but that's never thoroughly explained or explored. Yeah, they seem to be the only house, you know, for miles around that, you know, that is even functioning. You know, they're just this sort of practical questions. How is this? How is this working? I mean, he works in a chicken factory. She works in a diner. And where are the other people? Well, I mean, I think they do a pretty good job of ripping off Interstellar with regards to the score. Uh, <laughs> well, not just the score, but also the, the climate change and the dust setting. And, yeah. you know, they're on this farm. You know, that, that to me just feels like it's straight out of Interstellar. But then they say, like, you know, like, oh, there's, like, no water, but they they have a constant supply of beer. And, they're like, taking all these very long showers. And it's just like, wait, but how how much of the Earth is actually dehydrated now? Like, I thought you said there was, like, you know, no water, and yet we see so much liquid happening the rules, like you were saying, just keep – they're very vaguely defined and they don't help us understand what's actually going on. See, what they're not telling you, Dan, is that they're recycling their sweat. <laughs> and there's a lot of that. <laughs> Could you imagine? And then don't even get me started on the fact that there are these other people that supposedly work for the United States government who are, I guess, there to monitor Mescal, But – they have some altercations with him. There's like some fights and oh yeah, the five minutes where it becomes a paranoid thriller. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's a, that's a case of this movie now having uh, too many ideas and throwing too much at the audience and trying to expand the story in a way that, quite frankly, just wasn't needed for this type of movie. Um, it's obviously much stronger as a relationship drama. I don't need there to be like any kind of like you said paranoid conspiracy thriller. Um, I don't need there to be this ulterior like motivation behind the moon colony and like what Aaron Pierre's like characters like true purpose ultimately is. I didn't need any of that. All I needed was a subtle, a subtle exploration of this marriage, this relationship between these two characters. And if you want to introduce that one of them is a robot and one of them is a human and how that impacts their relationship for better or for worse, that's fine. That's worth exploring. That's very interesting. All this other stuff, I I just, like, how long is this movie? This movie is 110 minutes. Now, I do not believe that this movie needed to be longer, 
to justify somebody's um, added elements to the story. But they could have all just been fleshed out a lot better if this movie was more forthcoming with what it ultimately wanted to convey to us early on. Instead, they save it all the way till the end, and we're just supposed to kind of, like, make sense of it and have it all hopefully click into place. And it's a gamble. Uh, it, it is a gamble, because some movies can do that. Some movies have done that. Very successfully, might I add. I mean, The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Great example. Uh, but yet, this movie just, uh, you know, it was a gamble, and it didn't pay off for them. And the, there's so much going on, like... <sighs> I, I once Aaron Pierre's character started just fucking with Meskel's head. I'm like, okay, what is really going on here? But then he starts acting in ways that once you realize what he's there for, do not make sense at all. No. It's like, what? why is he fucking with the AI's head? Like, is he doing it because he just doesn't like... AIs, which they go out of their way to be like, they're not robots. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so they're synthetic humans somehow, or they're made from organic matter, you know, whatever. But, like, why Why is he so antagonistic towards him in this, in these scenes? And it, even after it's revealed that, oh, it's because he's the clone, it still doesn't really make sense. And then all the, like, government people which they're also like is it a government is it a corporation are they one and the same they kind of never really answer that um but they like all like celebrate and drink champagne yeah. after they yeah which, like w- yeah. what like why did you guys watch westworld when it was yeah. on hbo yeah, yeah i did like i wonder i was wondering if he was testing for fidelity with the clone but, trying to prove that it was the clone somehow. Like it, it came across to me like Aaron Pierre was pushing his buttons because he was testing for validity over how well the robot could adapt to this environment. That was what I would that that I, I kind of saw it as he was experimenting and trying to observe and figure out if this um was actually, to your point about the champagne, gonna be a successful test. Yeah. But what marks a successful test? I don't know. The movie doesn't say. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's he's the anomaly. That's the thing that made it seem like he was like the only one that's really done that. So then every time he's put himself in a dangerous situation, the security always came and like stopped him from like getting really hurt to like preserve because they wanted to like do his scans and record it. But like the whole time he's just prodding it and making it worse. I'm like, if you're if you're intentionally driving him like insane like isn't that gonna alter like the test results you want also too not to mention you're putting this woman's life in danger yeah Yeah. because you you see how like volatile and violent mescal gets in certain scenes where he's like punching the wall till his knuckles bleed and things like that and it's like she's okay with this you guys are okay with this like (laughs) really yeah well and then it leads to this monologue for the ai version of Junior and like oh 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 Paul oh Paul <laughs> he's really really committed but like it, it, the dialogue is so bad <laughs> that it's like he he has committed too much it's 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 
embarrassing how much he has committed to it when you realize what he's actually saying. And that is the point in the movie where I'm like, oh, well, he's obviously the AI. Yeah. And and, and if you didn't know that, we're going to show a shot from earlier in the movie that will tell you that this is where that changeover specifically happened. Yeah. And it's, it's just like that one scene, I was like, Oh no, this is bad. There's a monologue he gives about like the people he, so he works like in a food processing plant, especially because the climate, you know, everything's different. They need to preserve it. And so he's getting like quote unquote interrogated in one of the sessions by Terrence, Aaron Pierre's character. And he's just going on a whole rant about like, Watching his coworkers eat <laughs> and like how they chew and how it disgusts him. And he's just sniveling and dribbling. And I'm like, dude, Paul's trying his best to make like this dialogue is just so bad. And mm-hmm. he's going like all out there trying to make it work. And I it's just I just feel bad watching it because I was like, my poor boy. What are yeah. they doing to you? <laughs> Look how they massacred my boy. What have they done to my boy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I actually thought that the most effective moment for me uh, with his performance was actually everything um, with the clone being disposed of at the end of the movie. Because you're seeing the cloned Junior, who believes he's the real Junior, reacting so horrifically to the fact that not only is he the clone, but he's now going to be disposed of. And then you have the real junior kind of like in this almost out of body experience, almost similar to like Alexander Skarsgård in Infinity Pool, like earlier this year, like looking at a version of himself getting killed. And it's like, oh, my God, like this is just like so fascinating to me. And I think like both versions of junior in that scene, like that was the moment for me with Mescal where I was like, dude, Oh, yeah, I, I like I could see the wheels turning and I could see him trying, trying so hard to make this an impactful, dramatic moment. You got Saoirse Ronan on the outside, like crying. I don't even know why, to be honest with you. Like, did she want two of them in her life? I, I don't know. Did, did she start to fall in love with the one? And Well, yeah, they say that she's falling yeah. in love with the clone. I, OK, yeah. crazy news to me, because once again, this movie spends so much time showing that their marriage is not right. Great. So they didn't really convince me of that. Okay, whatever, though. Search Ronan's like outside the house now crying like in the mud. I I, I, like looked at it all of it. I was thinking to myself like, man, they're they're all trying so hard. Everybody's trying so hard. Now, when they started then rubbing uh, the clones like body in whatever that solution was. (laughs) I don't know about y'all, but I started like wondering. I was like. Are they about to burn this thing alive, like in the in the house? No, they end up putting him like inside a bag and depleting like the air uh, from the bag. Which I was like, oh, that's a very that that's a very efficient way to kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like that was the that was the scene for me that really stood out. Um, just for even if it wasn't great, even if I was still very confused by a lot of the character motivations. There was a lot of play there that I found to be uh, interesting and worth uh, engaging with because by that point in the movie, I was so disengaged uh, that I was like, okay, at least this kind of like got me pulled back in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, after it was over, and like like we said, the movie goes on for like another twenty something minutes. I, I didn't care again. It lost me again. Yeah. So it was it was very very close to winning me over with an ending that I was hoping was going to leave an, a lasting impact, but. Wasn't meant to be. 
Well, I think I, I related to that moment too, Matt, because that when the real Paul has that reaction, it's one of the first genuinely human reactions in the whole film. Yes. And, you know, that's that's what we've been aching for for this, you know, 109 minutes before it. And it, it, it when when that happens, and in hindsight, I'm thinking, boy, wouldn't that be an interesting starting point for a movie? Oh, yeah. Uh, with, with following the real Paul, uh, the real junior after all of these events happen. But, you know, we, we could play woulda, coulda, shoulda forever on this one. But uh, at least there was that one moment that it did give us a glimpse of what a movie could have been. And what did you guys think of the Beatles? That was a reoccurring image in this movie a couple of times where these giant, holy shit, if I saw that in my, in my apartment, I would have a heart attack Beatles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I think, Giovanni, you said offline that it was like meant to be a clue to the audience uh, early on that this is the AI version of Junior. Yeah, I, I think because when you first see it with uh, Junior, you know, he's staring at it in Saoirse Rona's character head and she's like, just kill it. And then the verse happens later in the film when it's kind of insinuating that now Hen's been replaced because she left and she just stares at it and the mescal comes and squishes it. And I think it's trying to comment that like there's a pureness to these AIs that like humanity hasn't really worn them down yet because the humans had such violent adverse reactions to the beetle, despite it being like this little bug that's just doing nothing. That's a very hopeful like kind of take on AI. Yeah, right? that's me trying to make it sound more yep. like in depth than like what it really is. It, I, I feel like it's just a, a way of writing in the script to just show that like a, a clue as to what's human and what's not in all reality. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's get over the final thoughts here. Um, anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up or something you want to reiterate Tom O'Brien, we could start off a few first. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast, pop culture confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Boy, I mean, I I just am thinking of the amount of time and money that went into doing this film. And uh, it just because so many people involved, the actors, Garth Davis, are, are enormously talented. And at some point, I just wish someone had asked a question. This it had made the comment. This doesn't make any sense. Because it really, there's so much effort going into this. And I, I really I'm just, it's going to, at the end of it, it's like, oh, why? And uh, that's, it, it came, uh, kind of, when it, the takeaway for me is that uh, this is a film that thinks it has more on its mind than it really does. Okay, Giovanni, I, I know when you saw this, because uh, Dan, Tom, and I, we saw it at the press screening where there was no Q&A. You, you, did you sit through the Q&A at NYFF for this? 
Uh, some of it. Did they, did they like add anything to help contextualize any of this? I think the only real aspect of the Q and a from Garth Davis that I really took was you, you really mainly wanted to talk about the AI aspect of the film and how, when writing it or like planning it out, you know, the secrecy of it and that big reveal. But he he talked about a lot of the actors and the performances, you know, especially because due to the strike, Paul Meskel and Sir Sharona couldn't be there. So he mainly just talked a lot about their approach to the performances and how they got involved, which I think was smart because they're the two best things of the movie. So I, I personally didn't really get anything out of the Q&A that I was like, oh, wow, OK, that really recontextualizes um, anything for me. Yeah, that's a that's a bummer. Yeah. Any of her uh, final thoughts here from you? <laughs> I think we really talked about it all. This is just unfortunately sad misfire. Um, I saw some people reacting, you know, they're like, oh, no, Paul Mescal, bad movie and it's over and everything. I was like, look, the test of a real movie star is, you know, you get every now and then you're going to get a dud. That's just how the business works. OK, and just how you bounce back. I'm, they're going to be fine. They're going to be in plenty of good movies. I just wish this one was better because the premise, like we've all discussed, it's it's quite interesting. And there is a movie in this. I think that's what the most frustrating thing is, is deep in this film, there is a movie we would all watch and we would come out of it going, wow, that was really good. Like you had the very pressure cooking in one chamber setting. You could have built on, like we all mentioned, to have have the AI from the jump, like that information known, have the relationship delved into more. But instead, that's just sacrifice for a cheap reveal that does not pay off at all. So fortunately, uh, the worst film I saw so far at New York Film Festival and one of the weakest I think I've seen this year. All right, Dan Baer. Uh, so. Sisha Ronan has a line early on in this movie when they're talking about the the moon colony. Uh, and she says, you know, no, the Earth didn't give us anything. We stole it. And the movie just never follows up on that line at all. It kind of presents itself as this like environmentalist parable that it doesn't really do anything with. And I think this movie has so many interesting ideas that it just th- tosses completely aside for to do this twist to like get one over on the audience or make them more excited about it or something. I don't understand why they banked so much on this twist when they had so many other interesting things, so many more interesting things going on. I I think that's a classic case of this works better as a novel than as a movie. Yeah. 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 Anything else? Um, I, I really like Saoirse Ronan in this. I feel like the quality of her performance is so, so good. And the, a couple of the, um, the dresses they put her in are really pretty. I like the look of the movie a lot, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think the cinematography, production design, costumes, the, it, it has a great look to it. But unfortunately, it's like someone else said, like it's all surface level. It ends up being incredibly shallow. And 
There is something very interesting about taking this house that is devoid of technology and is very pared down and simple. There's like, you know, cracks in the walls. There's like some molding like going on in certain rooms. And yet this is supposed to be taking place in the future where there's a fucking moon colony. So like I, I found that part of it to be interesting about how there are still some places on earth that feel like they're stuck in a different time. Um, not even our time. We're talking like decades ago. Um, so I, I, I thought that was all interesting in theory, but seeing it play out in execution, like, like were you guys kind of baffled towards the end of the movie when you finally saw an outlet, in the kitchen, in the home. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even notice it. Uh, I didn't yeah. notice at all. <laughs> I, like I, I saw that there was an outlet in the wall. I think it was for a coffee maker or something like that. And I was like, whoa, hold on now. I'm like, <laughs> you're trying to tell me that they've had like, uh, you know, and I understand, like, I understand they have electricity, but I was like, this is very, like, I don't know why, but that was like so jarring to me because it seemed like the movie was really going out of its way early on. Like I said, like they, they have a record player that plays like fifties and sixties songs their clothing also feels period and doesn't feel contemporary. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't, I I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I don't understand what the intention is here. Yeah. And I also think it's great that like one of the last lines of the movie is endings aren't exciting. Oh God. Not like beginnings. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, gee, you, <sighs> you hit the Man. nail on the head. So I'll tell you this for my final thoughts here. The year 2065 is going to be very interesting between uh, this movie and the creator, both <laughs> being uh, set within that time frame. Uh, I was like thinking to myself, well, OK, we're about 40 years out from this. And uh, this is where everybody thinks the world is going to be. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. They make a big deal about how Paul Meskel does not like hen playing the piano she plays very lovely i don't understand why he doesn't like I it i never understood that I, yeah. I assume it was just to emphasize how much of a dick the real version is and that's why she doesn't like him but like mm -hmm. it made no sense i was like she's playing and it's not like she's terrible no at the not piano. at all like she's yeah. playing eloquently and i'm just like okay who like hates that like who's just unless he's just pounding brewskis after a long day at the the, the factory and he's like, I just don't want to hear that piano, hen. Like, I, I don't know what what's the whole beef with that. That made no sense at all. I could not understand through a majority of this movie why Paul Meskel was just was just being difficult. Like, why was he not talking to his wife? Why was he being so aggressive against her? Like, what? I, I, I <laughs> this movie makes no fucking sense to me. Because even with the contextualization of, oh, well, this was the clone. And not the real one all this time. That still doesn't answer my question. <laughs> no. uh, and then the last thing I'll say here. When Saoirse Ronan cuts her hair in this movie. I immediately thought to myself. Oh, the return of Bryony from Atonement. Matt. I, I also had a moment of that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Saoirse Ronan wear her hair like that in years. <laughs> That's it. I mean, like the fact that that's like my final thought here. I just I, I, I really wish I had more to comment on about the themes of this movie, about the message of this movie, the characters, 
what it's actually trying to say about human relationships, about AI, about AI replacing humans and human emotion. And will we get to a point someday where we will develop relationships with AI as opposed to humans? These are all questions worth asking. This movie does not explore those topics in a sufficient manner. It's beyond frustrating. It is one of the biggest disappointments of the year for me. I agree with what was said earlier. I think everyone involved in this is going to bounce back. I think Ian Reid will bounce back. I think Saoirse Ronan, Paul Mescal, Aaron Pierre will bounce back. I think Garth Davis will bounce back from this. It's fine. No one's career is necessarily ruined by this movie. It's just a case of a lot of things not coming together. And sometimes that happens. What's what's really baffling to me is I want to know what favor New York Film Festival and uh, Amazon Studios, like what kind of agreement they worked out with each other to get this to program in New York Film Fest. <laughs> that's that's what I want to know, because you see the kinds of movies that the New York Film Festival programs. And I, I'm just like kind of amazed that they watched this and thought, yeah, yeah, let's put that up alongside these other like really, really well thought out, well constructed intellectual films where with this one it, to me it's like i don't know how you watch this and don't conclude that it's a freaking mess i mean mess skull mess yeah. maybe they didn't see it matt maybe they just took it they had to take it you know on spec basically I, it, like i said a f- there must have been a favor there, there had to have been something i i mean i'm not starting a conspiracy here i'm just like kind of just truly baffled by the decision and i'm just trying to make sense of it so, in any event, uh, great out of 10 here. Uh, I'm going to go with a 3 out of 10. Because, and, and you know, I could go lower, but I looked at comparatively at other movies that I've rated a bit lower than this. And this just doesn't... Like, like I'm frustrated by this movie, but I wasn't angered by this movie. I wasn't offended by this movie. It's just uh, a disappointment on a lot of levels, especially given the talent involved. And, you know, Saoirse Ronan and Paul Meskel, they are the only thing in this movie that's really – and some people are saying that they're, like, really, really bad in this. I, I get that. I don't think they're bad. I think they're trying really, really hard. But I wouldn't say that they're bad. So, yeah, three out of ten for me. Tom, what about you? Yeah, I I, I agree that they're not bad, but um, what really sticks with me of their performances is you could see their strain – they are really trying to make this work. And I was tempted to raise it to a four just for their effort. But no, it's a three. It makes no sense. Uh, I just I, I, this is one of the biggest disappointments in several years for me. And uh, bam, I'm really, really sorry to give it a three. But that's what it is. Giovanni, what about you? I'm in the same boat. I'll, I give it a three out of ten. Dan? So my review, my official review for this gave it a five. I think it looks too good and Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal are good enough where I, I can't give it a fail grade. But honestly, the longer I think about it, the further away I get from it, the less it makes sense, the less I like it. And now I'm at more of a four. Okay. Uh, I think it's very, very obvious, so we'll just come out and say it now. No Oscar potential for this movie. No. Nope. Zilch. You think you could get a Razzie nomination? Oh, yeah. Hmm. 
I honestly, I could see them being like wanting to be trolls and giving like Meskel worst lead actor nomination. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No awards potential for this film. Um, I, I do believe that at some point Garth Davis will probably make something that will have awards potential again. But it's like sometimes I do look back and I say to myself, how much of Lion's success was him and how much of that was the Weinstein machine? pushing that movie oh don't get me started on how the ads for this have all been like from visionary director garth davis (laughs) i'm like whoa lion is a perfectly fine movie but visionary yeah (laughs) let let, let's please tone that down a little bit (laughs) i mean i mean he made a movie about jesus but that's also not necessarily visionary either so (laughs) yeah all right, all right. Uh, well, that'll do it here. It, it's so funny. There are so many other uh, films that are playing at the New York Film Festival that are worth uh, reviewing, and uh, we'll get to them eventually upon their release dates. Uh, this was, you know, obviously one of the bigger high-profile films uh, that was, once again, a world premiere, and it's just, you know, you win some, you lose some. It is what it is, and you can't please everybody all the time. So, you know, uh, to everyone involved, like I said, I think they're all going to bounce back at some point or another. It's totally fine. But it's a it's certainly a movie that's I think this is going to sound very weird when I say this. I still think this movie is worth seeking out simply because I think there's a lot of takeaways that one can get from it in terms of just understanding what can go wrong in developing your film. I think there are some learns in the mistakes that this movie made and that are worth exploring because this isn't a movie that was intentionally – no no movie intentionally tries to be, be bad, obviously. But there are certain like commercial films from the studios, big blockbuster movies where they're not trying to be profound. They're not trying to engage you on a cerebral level. And they do just come across as dumb and poorly made sometimes but this movie was really trying to say something important this movie was really trying to do something it was very clear that everyone involved really thought they were making something meaningful right yeah and and i think from that standpoint alone this is a movie that's very uh worth watching just then to understand uh how you could have such good intentions and then the end product does not meet those uh, expectations that you had for it and you know using it as an example to just better understand the filmmaking process the storytelling process so I know it's like a really backhanded compliment in a way but you know give it a, give it a shot I, I'm sure the Saoirse Ronan Paul Mescal fans will see it no matter what <laughs> alright well that'll do it here for our review of Foe on the Next Best Picture podcast Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet Oh, you can find me on the social media website formerly known as Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. You can find me on Letterboxd and Post at Dance and Dan. Giovanni Lago. You can find me on Twitter at the Giovanni Lago. And Tom O'Brien. And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.